Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League podcast. It's Friday and it's time for another dose of Football Social Daily. This morning we react to the Champions League draw as Liverpool, Manchester City, Chelsea and Tottenham Hotspur find out their groups. And on the face of it, they should all be getting through. But how will Spurs do back at the top table? And is this the season Manchester City finally do it? We'll also be looking at the latest transfer news with Manchester United looking like they'll be making more additions before the window closes. Liverpool have been linked with one of the bright, young, up-and-coming stars in world football. And could there be further high-profile departures at Manchester City as well? And as we like to do on a Friday, why not round the week off with a nice little quiz? I'll be seeing if I can squeeze some cumulative brain power out of today's FSD pundits, Jim Salverson and Joel Tudor. Hello, boys. Hello. Morning, guys. That was very high-pitched, wasn't it? <laughs> it was, yeah. Helium. little helium intake <laughs> Just there. excited. Hello. Just excited about the weekend. Yeah, the weekend's Premier League football is very soon upon us. And if you want to hear the thoughts of two former Premier League players, Trevor Stephen and Dean Hammond, about this weekend's matches and the remaining few days of the transfer window, you can do so by listening to The Dugout, which will be out later tonight. Jim, joined by those two former players, so make sure you hit subscribe and that way you won't miss it. But for now, on today's Football Social Daily, let's focus on the Champions League draw. As Liverpool, Spurs, Chelsea and Man City have all found out their opponents for this season's European top-tier club competition. And let's go through the groups in order. Liverpool have been drawn against Ajax, Rangers, who of course have qualified uh, after their win over PSV the other day, and Napoli. Tottenham have got Frankfurt, Sporting Lisbon and Marseille. Chelsea have AC Milan, Salzburg and Dinamo Zagreb. And Manchester City have Sevilla, Dortmund and Copenhagen. So with all that in mind, Jim, if you were to pick one team out of those four Premier League clubs, who do you think has got the easiest group, the most favourable group and has a good chance of getting through to the next stages? I think taking the individual qualities of those teams out of it and just looking at the opposition... I think you'd probably fancy Liverpool to have the clearest route through to the next phase. I think Rangers, despite the fact those games at Ibrox will be mm. high intensity and they've got to cope with the Ibrox crowd as well. I think you'd fancy Liverpool on any day of the week to beat Rangers. Yep. I think Napoli, probably on their day, they can be exceptional. But again, they're one of the lesser teams in the Italian league they're certainly not kind of the team that are challenging for the title every season so you'd fancy them to be kind of the the, the whipping boys potentially of that group and also Ajax who on their day can present a challenge after they finished being pillared by Manchester United and had all their <laughs> best players taken away from them they could end up finding themselves in real trouble next season because they're running out of time to recruit with so the likes of Anthony go on to leave Manchester United, Ajax could find themselves without a bit of quality next season. So I think out of those groups, potentially Liverpool have got the easiest, but they all look reasonable, to yeah. be fair. They're actually, you don't look at any of them and go, there's a challenge ahead for the English teams to get through that. I totally agree. What do you think, Joel? Because like I said before, I'm, I'm with Jim here. I think all four Premier League teams, Liverpool, Spurs, Chelsea and Man City, should easily be progressing through to the knockout stages if you look at the opposition that they're going to come up against. Yeah, I totally agree with you both. I think on face value, when I first saw that Liverpool group, I was thinking, oh gosh, you know, big crowds, big legacies of the clubs. But then when you actually look deeper into it, exactly like Jim said, I think Rangers, 
although they have that advantage at home, I just don't think they have the quality to beat the likes of Liverpool and Napoli. And then Ajax, when I saw them, I was originally thinking, oh, Ajax, you know, the team of the last four years who've caused so many problems to so many teams in the Champions League. But having had, like Jim said, their carcass ripped out of them in the last year and obviously taking a load of their players and Ten Hag, I think they're going to look like a totally different side in this group stage. And I probably fancy them to be, you know, fourth or third in this group. So I'd say for them, Napoli's made the main kind of threat and even still with them, I still don't think Liverpool will be too concerned having won, I think was it six out of six last year in the Champions League, the first English side to ever do that. So obviously they need to still improve because right now it's looking like, you know, they could still be shaky going into this group. But you would say Liverpool definitely got the best chance. I would, And you know what, surprisingly, Manchester City, I would say, have probably got the most difficult group, which usually isn't the case. They usually get a pretty straightforward group, but... Uh, Severe and Dortmund, I think them two are two quality sides who obviously do well in their respective leagues every every single season. So I think they've all got a really good chance of topping their group pretty comfortably, I would say. I don't see any major threats there. They've avoided all of the, you know, the kind of slippery Inter Milans and all the other ones in the second pot. So I think they've all got a really good chance of going through. I think City have got the best away days as well. If you're a City fan and you're looking to go on a little bit of a European adventure this year, Sevilla, Dortmund and Copenhagen... Nice. There's three brilliant cities to visit. Dortmund, if you go to Dortmund, don't stay in Dortmund. Stay like uh, down the road in Cologne and get the train over. But I mean, there's three brilliant away days there. Now, Dortmund's got um, quite a good little beer scene and bar scene going on. It it's is an industrial, industrial city though, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I quite enjoyed it when I went there. And of course, their stadium's absolutely awesome, mm. isn't it? The um, the Westfalen Stadion with the big yellow wall. Uh, Severe, what a lovely little city to go to for an away day, yeah. And Copenhagen, which I've not been to, I must admit, but I'd like to go one day. That's quite a trendy place to go, isn't it, for an away day? So, yeah, I think on the face of it, though, as you say, Joel, the the Champions League draw is seeded, isn't it? So we weren't expecting too many heavyweight clashes but in then you look some of the other C. groups we've seen. Barcelona versus yeah. Bayern Munich. So. Barcelona, Bayern Munich, Inter Milan and, I mean, Victoria Pleasant, who won't be looking forward to any of their <laughs> games in the Champions League this season. <laughs> but that's a bit of that is, if you're going to pin group of death yeah. on any of the groups, Group C looks very tasty. Well, talking of away days, Victoria Pilsen, Pilsen the home of Pilsner. Like, if you, if you like your beer, it's a good place to go. Um, I think Man City have actually got the toughest group of all the English teams. That's not to say that they won't get through because I think they will. Uh, Erling Haaland coming up against his old club Borussia Dortmund pretty early uh, in his Manchester City career Jim I'm not sure he would have been expecting that Um, what do you think that will be like for him going back there I can't imagine he's going to be too sentimental about going back to Dortmund he's a man who was built to score goals and seems supremely focused and driven in doing that so I don't think we're going to see too much sentimentality in his return and I fully expect him to do the job every time he steps on the pitch for City, whether that's against Dortmund or whether it's against Red Bull or whether it's against anybody else from his previous career. So, yeah, I think it'll be an interesting return for Erling Haaland. It'll be interesting to see how that passionate Dortmund support welcomes him back because he was only there for a short period. Mm. Maybe they would have liked to hang on to him quickly, but I also at the same time think that the expectation when Haaland went to Dortmund was it was only ever a temporary move. It was that leapfrog to move to a bigger club ultimately. So they probably were always prepared to leave him. But yeah, I'm sure he'll enjoy going back and playing in front of the Dortmund crowd that 
cheered his many goals for a couple of years. They've got a new hero now, Seb Haller. Yeah, he's, he's the new one to to pin your hopes on. Do you think this is the year City finally do it though, Jim? Because we've spoken about them potentially being Champions League contenders for what the last four or five mm. years, ever since Pep Guardiola went there, really. And they've dominated English football. They've won so many trophies. They've won the majority of league titles in the last five or six seasons. But they've never been able to really hammer home that Champions League. They got to the final and they lost to Chelsea. They lost to Real Madrid last season in the semi-finals. And they probably should have won, but that was an incredible game. And you have to give credit to Real Madrid. Is this the season they finally do it? Because their chief executive, I think Ferran Soriano, has been speaking in the media and he says Manchester City will win the Champions League mm. in the future. It might not be this season, it might not be next season, it might not be for another five years, but they've got the infrastructure in place that they can be big hitters in the Champions League. But do you think this season is, is the one? I thought last season was the one. I was convinced they were going to win it last year. And I guess the thing they are building into that squad is the experience of how to manage those big games. I mean, Mm. they they should have enough experience within the players they've got already to know how to manage big games, but they seem to be taking incremental steps towards winning the Champions League. There's a little bit of a hoodah about them winning it now, though. There's a little bit of a kind of, can they, can't they do it around them potentially lifting that trophy? Because we all know that is what the club wants and the fans will deny that it's what they want, but I don't believe that. I think the fans want it as well. They want to be able to go, we are the greatest club in Europe and you can't claim you're the greatest club in Europe unless you've won the Champions League. A cup competition is always a little bit unpredictable. As we saw in that Real Madrid game, it only takes a couple of minutes for something to flip on its head and go the other way. But they have got the experience of that Real Madrid game now, there's a little bit of education in terms of game management that will go into their campaign this year. So, yeah, they've got a chance, haven't they? As much as other teams have a chance, there'll be three or four teams within the Champions League that you'd pin as favourites for them and City have absolutely got to be one of those. And to be honest with you, I agree that they will win the Champions League at some point, Mm. but I think they're also running out of rope a little bit because... Once Pep Guardiola leaves Manchester City, which will happen in the next two, three years, Man City will not be the force they currently are because there is no manager on the planet like Pep Guardiola and there hasn't been a manager on the planet like Pep Guardiola for the last decade. They'll go all out to find him, but he is a driving force behind that Man City team and there will be when he does eventually leave a period of transition. So if if they're going to ever win it, I think they need to win it whilst Pep is in the dugout. I'm with you 98%, but the only 2% that's kind of a little thing in my head is we've seen Chelsea win the Champions League with sort of a distinctly average team in 2012. They managed to win it. We've seen teams who have somehow gone the distance in the Champions League where their league form hasn't been up to scratch. This is true. And sometimes you see this in the Champions League where you, you can just kind of botch together a few wins and then all of a sudden you're in the semi-finals. Well, it's a cup competition, isn't it? Absolutely, it's just how it yeah. works. You just need to get lucky and you yeah. go through to the next round. So you, mm. you're right, yeah. But I guess their best chance, I would say, is... I mean, the, the, the suggestion is a lot of City fans are saying they want Graham Potter to replace Pep Guardiola. Yeah. And I just can't see Pep Graham Potter as a Champions League winning manager at the moment. <laughs> it just doesn't seem to fit in my head. Yeah. So I just think, yeah, th- this season or next season is Man City's best chance of winning and we've got to remember as well they played the whole of last season Champions League and Premier League without a recognised striker in their squad and and Erling Haaland has added another level to that team so providing Mm. he stays fit for the season and features in the Champions League that gives them that little step up that next level and gets them a little bit closer to the trophy. You're right though this podcast Football Social Daily we're based out of Manchester and we see both the red and the blue half of this Mm. city and 
the only stick left for United fans to beat City fans with is the fact that they haven't won the Champions League. And that's always the debate you hear. Come back when you've won a proper treble. Come back when you've won a European trophy, etc, etc. So it will be interesting if that kind of ever happens and City do pick up the Champions League. What about Tottenham, Joel? Back in the Champions League this season after a few years away, they got to the final in 2019, lost to Liverpool, of course, under Maurizio Pochettino. What do you think the fans will be expecting from them as their group contains Frankfurt, Sporting Lisbon and Marseille? But, you know, they've toiled quite hard to get back into the top four and get back into the Champions League. So they'll want a strong start to the group stage, won't they? Yeah, you would say it's a pretty straightforward group. Obviously, Frankfurt, Europa League winners and then Lisbon and Marseille are decent in their groups. But Sporting Lisbon have literally had their whole squad taken away from them in the summer. The only issue I have with Tottenham is that Conte is renowned for having a really bad record in Europe. Even when he was at Juventus, he had such a talented team and they still I don't think they even got past the quarterfinals with him during his time there, despite winning three, four Scudettos in a row. So I think that's the only thing I would be slightly cautious of with Tottenham is just the fact that he just doesn't see... I don't know what it is with him in Europe, but he just doesn't seem to take to it well or doesn't seem to understand how to operate in a knockout system format whereas in a Premier League he's like one of the uh, sorry in a league format he's one of the best there is in terms of making it over the line but in terms of that group you would you would have to expect that they would top that I really don't see any kind of danger I think probably Frankfurt are the the main ones but even still I just don't think that they're going to be up to scratch in terms of quality despite winning the Europa League so I think it's a straightforward one for them and Tottenham can probably expect at least the quarter-final, but I mean, from there, I just think they're going to be massively overwhelmed by the quality of teams that will be left in the competition. And I think by that stage as well, if Tottenham are still there or thereabouts in terms of Premier League position, I think Conte will always favour the league over the uh, European competition. So I think, you know, it's a good free run for them and they've waited quite a little bit I think what was it four years for them to get back into the Champions uh, three years to get back into the Champions League so it's just a good time for them to cement themselves again as one of the top European clubs do you think that's a bit weird though when we talk about Antonio Conte because every time we talk about him we say what a good coach he is and how lucky Tottenham are to have him and hopefully this sort of regeneration with the investment from the owner Daniel Levy into the playing side of things bringing new faces in and giving them a real chance of winning a trophy this season do you think it's strange how we praise Conte a lot when it comes to Premier League football but as you say in Europe maybe it's not quite as high praised is that strange for you Joel do you think I think that's a bit odd when you think about it how can someone be so good in the league but yet when it comes to Europe he's not quite considered as as elite I suppose it's really a strange one because he's had such good teams at his disposal. That Juventus side, as soon as he left, Allegri took it over and got them to the final a couple of years later against Barcelona. It was one of the best Juventus sides I've seen. Whereas before that, the three years before, you know, they still had a, the, the main bulk of that team that Allegri had, you know, with Carlos Tevez, Pogba, Perlo, Marquisio, and the, obviously the main three of Buffon, Benucci, Bazagli. They had the main core of that group, and yet still they struggled all the time. I don't know if it was a case of the fact that the competition was just that much better than them. Because let's not forget, it was one of the peak Barcelona sides they had to contend with. Buying under Jupp Hanks was 
one of the best buying teams there's been. So I don't know if it was just the case of the competition being that much better. But even still with Chelsea, he had an amazing Chelsea side and still they couldn't get over the line in that competition. Um, you know, being overwhelmed by the likes of Paris Saint-Germain and Atletico Madrid. So I think it's just the case. I really don't know what his mindset is going into a European competition because it just seems as though he's just way better equipped going into weekly games rather than the two-legged games I don't know if he overthinks it I don't know if he lacks prioritization I, I really don't understand what it is because when he was a player he did quite well at Juventus and going back into management it just has never seemed to click for him but I think Tottenham fans this season will just be begging for any kind of trophy it, I don't think that they really care about going all the way in the Champions League they just want to get to a final I think if they could get an FA Cup and a top three Premier League finish that's an amazing season for them this season it's progress uh, but I wouldn't expect anything massive in the Champions League because as history kind of shows Conte is not the manager for that it's funny isn't it because you get some managers that perform in Europe and some don't I mean you look at a manager like Unai Emery who you probably wouldn't class as the elite but who managed to take his sides to deep within the Europa League on on regular occur- regular occurrences. So some can do it, some can't. And I'm sure there's a lot of yeah. people who look far deeper into football and tactics than we do that could probably explain exactly why that is. Maybe he's too conservative and so he's playing too many draws and that doesn't suit a kind of cup knockout competition. I, I don't know, but I think for Spurs fans, what they have got to look forward to is for the very first time in their new stadium, I think, they'll have Champions League football. Yeah. And that is a stadium that looks and sounds superb yeah. on an evening kickoff. And there will be some great nights. No, they were there for the uh, everyone to the, to the Champions League. Oh, were they? They were there. That was that their yeah, first. Yeah, they were there. Well, it's still yeah. an amazing stadium yeah. to play football, isn't it? I mean, yeah, it's still amazing. Yeah, so it's one of the best what, stadiums you could possibly think of. Champions League football in that stadium for those evening kickoffs. That, that will be a brilliant crowd to be in and a brilliant crowd to play in front of as well. And maybe that will lift the players to different uh, different achievements than they've had previously. Well, we will wait and see. Tottenham drawn against Frankfurt, Sporting and Marseille in their Champions League group. Liverpool, Chelsea and City also finding out who their opponents will be. And before too long, Europe's elite club competition will be back. And of course, we'll be speaking about it on Football Social Daily. So hit subscribe here and that way you won't miss it. Next up, though, we're going to be talking about transfers on FSD because United have been linked with a number of players over the last three days, as have Liverpool and Manchester City. We'll talk about that next after this. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily, your daily sport podcast on the Premier League from Sport Social, part of the Sport Social Podcast Network. So if you're looking for your next great sport podcast, then make sure you check out the network sport-social.co.uk is the website time to talk transfers now as we're now what six days five days from the end of the transfer window something like that finishes on friday so yes. a week seven days is it yeah first, first of september it closes which is friday i think isn't it i think thursday All i think right. six days <laughs> anyway we are it's been on one it. of those windows Man, we are on it <laughs> it's been one of those windows because i'll tell you why manchester united have been linked with so many players in just the last three days alone that's disregarding the other 23 days of the transfer window we've already had and the months in the summer before that so i'm going to come to you joel as the resident united fan amongst us Gakpo, Dubravka, Pavard, Anthony, Asensio, that's just five of the names linked in the last three days. Who is the preference? 
let's just say if you were picking one name out of those, who would you go for and why? I don't even know anymore. I've lost count of the amount of players we're getting linked with these <laughs> days, honestly. It's, it's becoming a bit of a merry-go-round. It's a joke at the moment. Looking at the, the list, I mean, I would go for Anthony, but the, the prices that are being touted around it, what, 100 million euros for a player who is still very, very raw, still very much just potential, mm. is such a massive risk. I don't understand. Are they playing with Monopoly money at the moment at United? Like, Is it not real money? Do they not realise that this is actual finances going out of the club? Because it's insane and it's just such bad management because they probably could have got Anthony at the start of the window for 20, 30 million less because then Ajax would have at least had another three, four, uh, three, two to three months to actually find a decent replacement. And now they're getting, um, you know, quoted for Zayek being 35 million, which is just ridiculous. But Chelsea are well entitled to ask for that because they know Ajax will be desperate. So when you look at this set of players, it just it just screams to me desperation, just a total lack of planning because United are now going to have to pay a premium for every single one of the players you've mentioned. Gakpo, you know, PSV, although they've just gone out of the Champions League, Ruvan Isleroy is not going to want to have one of his main star assets leaving with four days to go and no replacement. Um, Dubravka, I think that's more of a straightforward one, is a goalkeeper issue, which I don't really yeah. have too many concerns with. But Asensio, again, it's another castaway Real Madrid winger who he, they don't want. And are United turning But you're into... not at the level of Real Madrid at the moment. You know, yeah, Real but Asensio Madrid isn't the Champions either. League. Asensio isn't either. He's... Asen... But Manchester United are, in, are not fishing in the same pool as Real Madrid right now. They can't be because of how poor they've been over the last... 18 months of course but Asensio isn't wanted by any European clubs which kind of shows the level that he's at at the moment even Real Madrid are kind of thinking well he's, he's a decent asset to have in the squad but United Real Madrid have basically got Manchester United's number now they've sold him Casemiro and they've gone this is a team that will pay loads and loads of money for not very good players do you want any more hey, Casemiro is a good player he's a good player no, I mean, he's I a just, world class player I just I understand what you're saying Joel about the fee for Anthony I mean 90 million euros is overpaying some people might say that 80 million euros was overpaying for Harry Maguire I mean you're the United fan amongst us so maybe that's more for you to say than me but at the end of the day if United need desperately these players then is that not just something that the fans will have to accept that that's the fee that you're going to pay? I mean, should you be that bothered about the price tag? Because if it's coming out of a transfer budget, like you say, the time frame between now and the end of the window is so short, you probably wouldn't have enough time to spend money on other players anyway, even if the Anthony deal was half the price. Well, in my opinion, I don't even think a winger is as essential as, say, a number eight who can move the transition of play in midfield, like the likes of Frankie De Jong, for example. I think that is a way more urgent mm. area. A striker's a way more urgent area with, like Jim was saying, I don't know if Cristiano Ronaldo's going to be leaving or staying in the next two to three days. It's just, the way I see it is, it's not, if you look at it from like a business standpoint, it's not as if the Glazers are losing money because they haven't put any money into it. And when they eventually do sell, they'll still get their figure that they want. So it's not as if they're going to be, you know, taking 80 million away from the valuation because the price is going to be the price. It's just the case of the fact that funds are being allocated unnecessarily on plays that could have been bought cheaper, which then feeds into other transfers. So now, for example, we're probably going to have to pay five million for Debravka instead of maybe going for a, a decent twenty-five million pound keeper. 
this is what it all feeds into each other it's not as if to say oh because it's not our money you know go spend what you want because the facts are the club do have a budget at the end of the day and if they're spending 80 million on Anthony it means that other transfer targets are going to get completely wiped out then so it's just a matter of prioritization and the fact that they're having to overpay constantly I don't know if the club can afford this potentially they probably can but it's just it's you know what the 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 biggest issue I have with paying this kind of money it's not a case of finances you know whatever the cook can do what they want with it it's more so the player itself because we've seen how it's affected the likes of Harry Maguire where he's been completely he's had his character assassinated pretty much based on his fee he's not an 80 million pound defender and yet everyone treats him as such as if he should be doing 80 million pound performances every single game and the same's going to be with Anthony. Everyone's going to be expecting eighty million pound performances from a winger who's not ready to do eighty million pound performances. He's not even forty million pound yet. He's still a raw talent. In an ideal world, they'd be paying you know thirty million. No one would bat an eyelid to it. He'd slowly integrate himself in the team. Whereas paying it now, he has to come in the team. The pressure's straight on him. The press are going to be ultra Hawkeye on him, like analyzing every single area of his game why is he not scoring one in every two games why is he not assisting all the time the fact is he's not ready mm. yet so united are kind of putting all this unnecessary pressure on a player maybe he can do it maybe he's got the mentality i don't know but it's unnecessary and you've seen it all the time with all these expensive players you know kepper is a good example from chelsea he's not a 70 million pound yeah. keeper and yet everyone had eyes on him like he was it's unnecessary i feel sorry for them because they don't choose the price tag and yet they come with all this baggage if you took the prices out of it joel if you like when forget about the value that's being put on them on the price tags that are being attached do any of those transfers excite you as a manchester united fan you look at the squad you go that is the answer to that problem or are the players just wrong in the first place ignoring them well judging from the start that we've well judging from the Liverpool game let's say having looked at Martinez having looked at uh, Ericsson who are Ten Hag targets he clearly knows what kind of plays he wants to fit his system so with that being said Anthony is the one that does stand out for me purely because he's worked with him he knows that he wants him in his system he knows how to use him and that's the only one that kind of fills me with some kind of confidence because he knows him as a person and as a player whereas I think a lot of big money transfers you get managers who don't really understand how they're even going to use them they kind of just bought because they're available they've got the cash available bring him in you know Lukaku's a great example I don't think he even fit in the system and yet because he was doing incredible things at Inter Milan, they thought let's make a statement signing and buy him and now he's back at Inter Milan again. So whereas this one's very different, Ten Hag's worked with him for a number of years now, he knows exactly how he plays and how he'll fit in the United system. So taking money aside, he is the one that excites me the most. If anyone's seen him play, I do think he's a little bit one-dimensional, I have to say, but he's still only 22. There's still more that can become of his game. But it's just, it's unnecessary money being spent, honestly. It's, it's really shocking, to be honest, the planning that this club have. I think you make a really good point about the pressures of the price tag. I think that's absolutely vital that that's taken into consideration. And I think you're right, it does increase the pressure on a player when they've got a huge price tag. And I know it's not their own fault, but with the way that Manchester United is covered by the media and the press, I mean, I was at Old Trafford on Monday, I've never seen so many journalists at a game than at, as you'd expect than at Manchester mm. United versus Liverpool and all of them will have their own opinions 
um, you know, all on social media, all on TV, radio, everything. So yeah, the, the pressures there's still and the spotlight diff- will be intense. There's still a different pressure at United, I think, compared to other clubs as well. Almost, you, almost more now that they're yeah. in a bit of a hole. Yeah, even though their status in terms of world football is potentially dropped and their performances on the pitch and they're not considered challenges for the Champions League or the Premier League anymore. I think when you go to United, there is a certain pressure on you because you're expected to be part of the team that recaptures the glory days. Everyone's expecting a resurgence from Manchester United at some point to go back to the days of Alex Ferguson. I'm not entirely sure that's reasonable. I don't think that's necessarily where Manchester United are even aiming at the moment. It's strange, isn't it? Because you talk about the biggest clubs in world football and even though they've been poor in recent years, Manchester United are no doubt one of the biggest clubs in world football. You know, you go to Real Madrid and the Bernabeu, you go to the, the, the camp now, you go to Old Trafford and, you know, you're talking about three giant super clubs and, you know, I guess Real Madrid have managed to maintain success, a bit like Chelsea, I suppose, by changing managers quite often. Um, in a league which isn't as competitive, in my opinion, in terms of the top 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 teams in La Liga, whereas Manchester United had a manager for 26 years, and then how do you recover from that? Obviously, they've made yeah. a hash of it. It's fair to say, but they've not had that consistency in the changing of managers. There's so many different elements we could sit here and talk about it for ages, but just a few of the names there linked with Manchester United. I'm sure we might see some through the door before now, and the end of the window we might even see some outgoings, high-profile ones as well. What about Liverpool then? Every single Liverpool fan I've spoken to after their defeat to Manchester City, uh, Manchester United on Monday say that the midfield's a problem. They say, Niall, our midfield's terrible. We've got too many old players. Milner mm-hmm. and Henderson, they're too old. They can't hack it. Harvey Elliott's still young. Carvalho, we've just signed. He's still only 19. We've not focused on the midfield. Klopp's got too much sentiment, Jim, and too much loyalty to those players that have done well for him over the years, but it is time, time for change in the midfield. And as such... The Express are reporting that Jude Bellingham, the young English midfielder, is still on Liverpool's radar. Is that the sort of player that Liverpool do need to boost their midfield after what has been a poor start? I think Jude Bellingham is perfect for Liverpool in terms of where he is in his progression and in terms of the type of player he is. The players you've just listed there, the likes of Milner and Henderson coming to the tail of their career. And Liverpool are in a little bit of a regeneration phase, I think. We've seen them try to add new life to their front line and now it's time to look at the midfield and potentially the defence as well. So I think Bellingham is in a perfect situation to come into that Liverpool side. He's going to cost Liverpool a fair bit of money if he does come because his status, even since he left Birmingham City to go to Dortmund, has risen incredibly. He's now kind of a regular in terms of that England squad, if not starting lineup, And he's still only 19, so he's got more development to... To have, and I think he'd bit benefit from playing under a manager like Klopp and playing regularly in that Liverpool side and in the Premier League as well. So mm. it kind of works for me. And the fact that Dortmund are willing to take Naby Keita in part exchange works for everyone because I think Liverpool fans would love to see the back of Naby Keita. Yeah, Naby Keita in part exchange is one that's been linked up, uh, talked up, sorry, in the newspapers, the Daily Express saying that. I think as well, when you look at someone like Jurgen Klopp and his style of management, he does tend to have a loyalty to those Mm. players, like I say. And I don't think Milner and Henderson all of a sudden become bad players. But when you have injuries to the likes of Fabinho and Thiago, it's becoming more and more difficult for them to find suitable replacements for those players. And I had an argument with a good friend of mine, big Liverpool fan, um, and another mate who's actually an Arsenal fan. And the Arsenal fan said that Liverpool don't have enough squad depth. And I went, well, actually, yeah, they do, because they've got nine players who can play in midfield. 
five of them are injured and two of them are young. So they've actually got depth. It's just the quality Mm. in that depth that's the issue. Jude Bellingham is only sort of in his early 20s, I think, maybe not even that. And and he's already shown that he has got the quality that it takes to play in the Premier League. But bring him in now, like rather than wait another year or two years for him to develop further at Dortmund, bring him now, have him mentored by the likes of Jordan Henderson. So there's a smooth transition. Don't wait in a similar way to Manchester City did with mm. uh, Fernandinho being in their midfield. They kind of played him till his legs fell off pretty much. You don't <laughs> want to be in that situation. You want to be bringing the next gen through before your existing players in whatever position they are give up the ghost basically so yeah bring him in now start him slowly let him play with the players that you want him to fill the role of and kind of begin that transition I think that's definitely where Liverpool are at the moment in a lot of positions across the pitch not just in midfield okay so the Daily Express reporting that Liverpool are still interested in Jude Bellingham and may offer Naby Keita as a part exchange um, with Borussia Dortmund to get that deal over the line. Let's focus on Manchester City now, who, according to one source, have rejected a £60 million bid from PSG for Bernardo Silva. Barcelona have also been interested in Bernardo this window. That seems to have died down a lot now. But I think it's testament to his quality, Joel, isn't it, that you've got two clubs like PSG and Barcelona interested in taking him off City's hands. I say taking him off City's hands, but he's still a valuable and really helpful player for them and a quality player as well. You only need to look at his form in the last couple of seasons. But do you think there might be some issues with Man City players and just the way that Pep Guardiola manages that eventually more game time will be the driver to see them want to move on? The likes of Zinchenko, Jesus and Sterling have all said that just this summer alone. But you think if Bernardo Silva was to be let go, City have rejected this £60 million bid that will be an even bigger hole to try and plug as well as the three that have already left. Well, I think, first of all, taking my biased hat off for a second, I don't think 60 million even touches the sides with Bernardo Silva. He's probably the top one of the top three players in his position in the world by an absolute mile, especially given how good he was last season in City's title win. And I just think that City are well within the rights. They kind of wait for a right fee because he's he's absolutely world-class. I think he's one of their top three plays easily. And the fact that PSG and Barcelona are obviously hovering around him. I know Bernardo Silva wanted to go last season, but uh, nothing really materialised. And I think Pep tried to persuade him to give it another year. But now he's 28. He's probably thinking that it might be time to move on. I don't think it's a case with him of game time because he's still such a regular in that City side. And as we've seen with Guardiola over the last decade, he loves to rotate his players and he's done it so well. It works for him. He likes to be able to switch and change and give players rest. I think for the very best teams, I only have to think of Sir Alex Ferguson's best teams, you know, having four different strikers in that 99 season that constantly rotated. But some players are just not happy with having that kind of role in the side. As we saw with Sterling leaving, even though he played a good Mm. amount of games, like it was a really decent amount of games, it started to slow down, you know, where he was playing 30 minutes here, then he played maybe, you know, 40 minutes there, whereas he wants to be the first name on the team sheet, he wants to be starting. Whereas I think for Bernardo Silva, I think it's a case of just achieving his dreams, to be honest. I don't think, well, I don't think any player's dream is Man City when they were a kid, unless you were Haaland. But I think Barcelona definitely is. And I think this Spoken is... Spoken like where... a true United fan, man. <laughs> yeah. Hey, come on, you've got, you got to admit, though, it's the truth, isn't it? It is the truth. No one grew, grew up watching Rainer and 
um, <laughs> the, these kind of players playing for City. And I just think that with Bernardo Silva, he's at a stage of his career where he's thinking, this is the right time, I'm at the peak of my powers. But Barcelona, Bernardo Silva's ready for Barca, but Barcelona are not ready for him. They've not got the finances available to fund such a deal because in an ideal world, in a like considering Richarlison went for 60 million, for example, Bernardo yeah. Silva's a 100 million player easily. Oh, easy. easily. I totally agree. He's unbelievable. Totally agree with that. So why, why should City, you know, fall short on their valuation? He's a world-class mm. player who would change any team. And I saw a report just before that, uh, apparently Guardiola stepped in in front of this PSG bid for Bernardo Silva purely because he thinks that he would make them Champions League favourites. And you know what? I would absolutely agree with him because he would change any any team he goes into. So I think City are well within the rights to reject such a poor bid, in my opinion. The one thing I would say is I think Pep Guardiola rewards loyalty from his players and he likes players that have performed for him and shown loyalty to him and the football club. And I think Bernardo Silva has 100% done that on the pitch and off the pitch. And if Bernardo Silva went into Pep Guardiola's office and went, look, it's my dream Mm. to play for Barcelona. I really want to leave. I don't think he'd stand in his way. I think he'd allow that. But not for 60 million, though. No, well, that's that's, that's not necessarily up to Guardiola. That's probably up to the guys who balance the books at City. But 60 million isn't a big enough bid for such an important player. No. But I do think if the deal, I mean, Barcelona have their magic money tree. I don't know where the f- they get mm. their money from. They just kind of pull out <laughs> their asses half the time. But yeah, whatever they're doing with it, they'll if they want the player, they'll be able to afford the player because they have mm. this seemingly unending source of money from somewhere, despite the fact the bank balance is millions and the millions. Seventh lever is going to be pulled soon. Yeah, well, I don't know what's going on. But yeah, I think I think if Bernardo Silva wants the deal to happen, I don't yeah. think there's too much that will stop it happening. Yeah. I mean, if the, Barcelona stump up the cash. Yeah, well, the Barcelona links have gone a bit cold, actually. I don't know whether they've kind of drawn a line under their interest. It's not the first time we've seen Bernardo linked with a move away in the last couple of transfer windows, actually. But this was a £60 million bid from PSG for Bernardo, which has been rejected by Manchester City. I'm sure we'll find out more about the transfer dealings of all of the Premier League clubs between now and the end of the window, which is only a few days away. We'll try and keep you up to date as best we can here on Football Social Daily. So why not hit subscribe? And that way you will not miss another episode of this podcast. Right, it's time to get quizzical. Next up on Football Social Daily, Jim and Joel will be putting their football knowledge across the week to the test. And we'll do it after this. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back. Final part of today's Football Social Daily. Don't forget later on today, you'll be able to hear the dugout where Jim will be speaking to Dean Hammond and Trevor Stephen, two former Premier League players about this weekend's fixtures as well as the remaining days of the transfer window. So keep an ear out for that one. But before we round off another week's worth of FSD, it's time for our weekly quiz so hey between jim and joel the two competitors on today's show you missed last week Noel. there's a theme tune for this oh is to, there you, go you, on you, you have to I haven't, I haven't made it properly yet so you have to sing it for the time okay. being do you remember the tv show blankety blank blankety blank blankety blank yeah, it's that but you go quiz of the week quiz of the week quiz of the week quiz of the week, of the week. Of the week. okay <laughs> happy with that was that acceptable that was, that was fine that yeah. was acceptable fine i might dock a point just so you try and embarrass <laughs> me on today's podcast um penalty shootout style five questions each whoever gets the most wins i haven't thought of a tiebreaker so we will see 
what the tiebreaker okay. question is if it comes down to it. Hopefully, we don't get that far. So, who wants to go first? Joel. Joel, you want to go first, according to Age Jim. before beauty. Age before <laughs> beauty. Okay, Joel, youngest first. Here's your first question. Former Premier League club Stoke City have recently parted ways with their manager, Michael O'Neill. But which former top flight manager is the bookies' favourite to take the job? Is it A, Frank de Boer, B, Sean Dyche, or C, Marcelo Bielsa? It's got to be Dyche. He suits Stoke to a T. <laughs> It is Sean Dyche, correct? Well done, Joel. That's you got such, one on the board. Such a perfect match, that isn't it? Oh, Sean isn't Dyche, it Stoke, Stoke City. I was speaking to a Burnley fan yesterday, and he was absolutely buzzing. He was like, "You know what? If there was one club that was like Burnley but wore red and white stripes, it would be Stoke City." Yeah. So correct, Joel. Well done. You're on the board, Jim. Leicester City lost two one to Southampton in the Premier League on Saturday. The South Coast club securing their first win of the league season. But when was the last time Southampton won an away game in the Premier League before last weekend? Was it A, December, B, January or C, February? Do you know, when you when you asked the question, my first answer was going to be February. Without the options, I would have gone February, so I can't change. I'm going to go February. And February is the correct answer. Well done, Jim. You've been keeping an eye on the statistics this week. Yeah, Southampton in wretched form on the road before the weekend. They also beat a side in wretched form themselves. Leicester City, who lost 2-1 and are struggling at the moment. Right, next question for you, Joel. Today is National Dog Day in the UK. And one football dog is more famous than all of the others due to his role in finding the stolen World Cup trophy before the 1966 tournament, which England, of course, famously won. The dog found the Jules Rimet trophy wrapped in newspaper by the front wheel of a car in South London. But what was the pooch's name? Was it A, Pickles, B, Percy or C, Sherlock? I know this one. I'm going to go with Percy. It's incorrect. The correct answer is Pickles. So that's a miss Pick- there. Oh, my God. Yeah, Pickles the dog. Famous dog. Because someone nicked the uh, the World Cup, didn't they? And they didn't think they were going to have a Jules Rimet trophy before the 1966 World Cup. But in the end, thanks to Pickles, he found the trophy. And that's that famous photo of Bobby Moore. Hero dog. Yeah. Should have had the dog in the other hand, shouldn't he? Trophy yeah. in one hand. In fact, there should <laughs> dog be... Dog in the other. <laughs> there should be a statue of Pickles lifting the World Cup and not... Uh, <laughs> There's a statue of Pickles <laughs> with, in the world, the, with the World Cup in his mouth. In the National Football Museum in Manchester. If Brilliant. you go there, there's a little display all about Pickles the dog finding the World Cup. Okay, so it remains 1-0 to Jim after two questions for Joel. Time for your turn now, Jim. League 2 side Crawley Town provided our first cup upset of the new season in round two of the Carabao Cup when they dumped out Premier League team Fulham midweek. But which fourth tier side, a former Premier League club themselves, reached the final of the 2013 League Cup before being beaten by Swansea City at Wembley? Was it A, Barnsley, B, Bradford City, or C, Bournemouth? Oh, I think, I think it was Bradford. Bradford or Barnsley? I'm going Bradford. Bradford is correct. Well done, Jim. Another point. Yeah, very well done. Um, Bradford reaching the final. I don't think that's been done since then. A League Two team reaching the final of the League Cup. Uh, but they were beaten in the end quite comfortably by Swansea, but it was a great run. And well done to Crawley and all the other League Two sides that gave it a real good go against their Premier League opposition in the League Cup this midweek. Right, question for you then, Joel. Scores 2-0 to Jim at the moment. Uh, sorry, is it 2-1, isn't it? 2-1. 2-1. 3-1. 3-1. 
Oh, how many questions you had? My scorekeeping's not great, is it? Three one to Jim at the moment. Um, okay, Joel. This week, Britney Spears has announced she'll be releasing new music for the first time since the 2016 album Glory, which incidentally was released on this very day six years ago. But who was top of the Premier League at that time? 26th of August, top 2016. 2016. Was it Chelsea, Arsenal, or Manchester City? 2016. My heart's saying one thing, but my head's saying something else. No Googling, Joel. I'm going to go <laughs> with Arsenal. It was Chelsea. Ooh. Chelsea, top of the table. Oh. Victories in their first three Is games. The Conte year? Yes, it was the Conte year. They went on to win the Premier League title in 2016-17. So it stays 3-1. So I guess, Jim, this is pretty much a chance to clinch the trophy. Here. I think I can boot the next two into the stands, can't I, and still win? <laughs> I'd quite like you to answer them anyway, because like they're quite good questions, and I <laughs> spent right. a lot of time on these, so you can answer them anyway. Um, Manchester United kick-started the Eric Ten Hag era with a victory over Liverpool on Monday night. But how long was the scream that Gary Neville let out on the commentary gantry when his side <laughs> scored? Was it five seconds, seven seconds, or ten seconds? Was it comparable what with a question. his Champions League orgasm that he had? When it was comparable, but it wasn't scored. as long, I don't think. Uh, what, five, seven, or ten? Yes. I'm trying to, trying to imagine it in my head. I'm going to go for middle for diddle. Seven seconds. Middle for diddle Neville. gets you a point. Well Yay. done, seven seconds. And there's a video of him on Twitter celebrating as, as the goal went in. Okay, so well done, Jim. That puts you 4-1 ahead. I think that gives you the, the victory, but we'll roll through the rest of the questions Just anyway. give me the consolation so I can bring the ball well, back to the There's a couple circle. more questions. Um, Newcastle smashed their transfer record this week to sign Sweden striker Alexander Isaac. But Joel, in 30 seconds, can you name five other Swedish players who have played in the Premier Oof. League? Three, two, one, go. Johan Elmander. Ibrahimovic, Lindelof, Larsen, and Henrik Larsen. Well done. Well done. Ooh. I mean, Larsen could have boxed off a few names. To be <laughs> yeah, Larsen's probably um, like the main bulk of Swedish players. You've done well. You got yourself a point. It's 4 2. Did that in 14 seconds. Yeah, I should Joel. get double for Very that, impressive. surely. Very impressive. Okay. I think Jim's still going to win this. Um, but here's another question for you, Jim. Nottingham Forest raised a few eyebrows when they signed Morgan Gibbs-White from Wolves for a whopping £45 million. But in 30 seconds, can you name five other Premier League players with double-barrelled surnames? Wow. <laughs> Three, two, one, go. Um, Sean Wright Phillips. Uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold. Does he have a hyphen in his he name? Does, he does. Um... Bradley Wright Phillips. <laughs> oh, I don't know if he played in the Premier League, play. but I'll give did, it to I think, you. Did he not play for City at some point? Did he not? I want to steward his inquiry on that one. Um, I'm struggling beyond that. Five, four, There's loads, I three, know, but I can't two, think of any off the top of my head. One, time's up. Okay, so that was a, a grand total of two. <laughs> Sean Wright Phillips and Trent Alexander-Arnold. You could have had Kyle Walker-Peters. You could have oh. had James Ward-Prowse. Nigel Rio Coker. That you could have had. <laughs> Nigel oh, Rio Coker. Your boy. Come Nigel on, Rio Coker. <laughs> it's a very modern phenomenon, the 
hyphenated surname, isn't it? There's certainly more players around now than there ever have been previously who have the hyphenated surname. Hudson Adoy? Yeah, there's a lot of them. There's quite a few. So there was plenty of options there. Unfortunately, you don't get the point. Um, Jim wins the quiz. Um, but I'll do one more question for you, Joel, anyway, because this is quite a fun one. Wesley Fofana missed training this week for Leicester City amidst an imminent move to Chelsea. Argentine footballer Guillermo Marino once missed training too because he allegedly was doing what? A, he thought he had been signed by a different club. B, he had the builders in. C, he was adopted by aliens. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Who's this guy, by the way? Uh, just a random Argentine footballer called Guillermo Marino. And... Uh, he claimed that he once missed training because A, he thought he had been signed by a different club, B, he had the builders in, or C, he was abducted by aliens. I swear to God, if this is C, I'm ending the call now. I'm going to go with A. A, he thought he'd been signed by a different club. He thought he signed for another club, yeah. No, actually, his excuse was that he thought he'd been abducted by aliens. Oh, so, give, no, therefore... that is pathetic. No, I need to... <laughs> give, me, give me the context of this. I need to know what happened. Basically, a former teammate of Guillermo Marino claimed that he once missed the training session because he was abducted by aliens basically he gave an explanation to his teammate um and he said that i left and came back two days later for training because i was kidnapped by aliens (laughs) and that is literally the quote here um bit of a crazy guy by the sounds of it but yeah a bit of a wild one there i don't think i've ever been abducted by aliens but i might use that as an excuse the next time i don't (laughs) can we get him on the podcast because i have so many questions for (laughs) (laughs) well done joel well done jim in the end jim you win the quiz i mean how are you going to celebrate tonight i'm going to go and watch every single one of bradley wright phillips's 32 appearances for manchester city in the premier league (laughs) and Uh, prove myself yeah where's the other jim where's your other three Ah, forget it. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of bitterness creeping in there. A little bit of a parting dig uh, between Jim and Joel. Thanks for your company, lads. Don't forget, the dugout is later on on Football Social Daily. So too is Shots, a little short-form podcast, wrapping up all of the news from this afternoon's Premier League action and gossip that you might well have missed. So keep an ear out for that and the dugout. But that is it for another week of FSD. We'll catch you across the weekend. See you then. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk.